Sports and comedy fans rejoice. You're listening to the SNL Post Game Show. I'm thrilled you're here. I'm your host, James Hauser, here to take you through the game that was the first episode ever of Saturday Night Live. And what a night it was. We'll be recapping the episode, breaking down the film, and grading it sketch by sketch, compiling all the stats for the not-ready-for-prime-time players, handing out awards for plays of the game, and MVP, and ultimately letting you know whether or not SNL got a win this week. It's comedy turned into sports for your amusement. Now, being that this is our first episode, let me give you a little bit of insight into how we're going to grade each SNL episode. As we go through the live sketches, the pre-recorded sketches, and any special segments, the monologue and weekend update, each is going to get a plus or a minus grade, generally a plus or minus one, but in cases of incredibly great pieces or absolute bombs, you may see a plus or a minus two. The final numbers are then tallied at the end to determine whether or not it was a W or an L for Saturday Night Live that week. And we're starting with the very first episode from season one in 1976, so it's gonna be a long ride. This show is also meant to be consumed after watching the episode, so if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, I'd go back, watch episode one. All of the episodes of SNL are available on Peacock, the streaming service for NBC, and uh, that way you can play along, watch each episode, and then tune in to the post-game show after. Well, let's not waste any time and dive in. We're going to start with the live sketches first, which means first up is the cold open titled The Wolverines. Now, on its face, this sketch doesn't have much going on. It's just two guys sitting in a living room, and one is apparently giving the other an English lesson. What makes this sketch hilarious is 100% John Belushi's delivery, the voice he comes up with, which is kind of like what Andy Kaufman would end up doing later on Taxi is absolutely hilarious. And this whole thing is this whole premise is carried simply on how he delivers the lines. And he has that famous line. I would like, I would like to feed your fingertips, to feed your fingertips to the Wolverines, to the Wolverines. <laughs> it really means nothing. It's total nonsense. But what's funny about it is obviously his delivery and the voice he uses, but just the utter cluelessness that John displays in this sketch is great. And that's why ultimately I think this is a plus one sketch. The ending isn't great. Really what this is in the first sketch ever in SNL, they prove one of the hardest things about sketch comedy, which is how to end a sketch. And ending a sketch well is almost impossible. And so when it's done really well... It sticks out. And in here, they obviously didn't have an ending. So Mike O'Donoghue's character just has a heart attack, and it's copied by John. Uh, it's fantastic. So plus one on their first sketch. All right, the next sketch after that was it was a commercial, one of four commercials actually in this first episode of SNL. Uh, but most of those were pre-recorded. This was actually a live sketch called New Dad, where it's an uh, it's a product where if you're if something happens to your dad, if your dad dies. Uh, you just if you sign up for the new dad insurance policy, you have a new dad that comes over, and now that's your new dad. Uh, and the new dad that comes in was Chevy. Uh, not a super funny sketch. I think this could have easily been 
a minus one on the grade. But what, what I thought saved it, and I credited Chevy with a save on this sketch, was just the way he sits down and starts to make out with the wife <laughs> at the end. Uh, I thought it's timing. Everything was great. So ultimately, I uh, gave the sketch a plus one. What followed that was a courtroom sketch. Now this, almost the entire cast was in. You had uh, George and Chevy, uh, Garrett Morris, Jane Curtin was the witness on the stand, uh, Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, and Gilda Radner were all in the jury. And the premise of this sketch was that uh, she didn't want to have to say what the guy said to her uh, in the dark alley, right? Or she was accosted by this guy. And so what they do is they have her write it down and then they pass it around. So really this was just an opportunity for some great reaction takes from the cast as they pass the note around uh, with the audience not knowing what is on it and everybody just gave some great solid takes as it worked its way all the way through. And so just on the ability of the cast in silence to react to this note just kind of shows their comedic chops and I thought carried this to a win. So I gave the sketch a plus one also. So on the first three sketches, we're already up three. Things are looking good this first episode of SNL. But after that, after the courtroom, the next live sketch was called Victims of Shark Attacks, which was a talk show setting for Jane Curtin to interview John Belushi, who was an apparent uh, shark attack victim. I didn't love this sketch. Uh, I thought ultimately the premise was pretty dumb, given that the guy didn't even suffer from any shark attacks. He was hiding it, right? He had his arm folded under his jacket. His leg was folded up underneath him. Why is this guy in the show? Okay, he doesn't actually have missing limbs. It just, none of it was funny. Jane, who I think is a solid performer, didn't have much to do, played it totally straight. And uh, I just thought ultimately it was a pretty weak sketch. So this was a minus one for me. And the sketch after this, the live sketch after this was the Muppets one. Now, I think the Muppets are going to be a regular thing through this first season. This is called The Land of Gorch. And... This was one of the worst sketches I have ever watched, if you could even call it that, in my life. It was it just wasn't funny. Not a single funny thing was said in the entire sketch. They paraded these gross, ugly-looking Muppets around. I mean, the only cool thing about it was you could hear some of the voices that would later come on to voice some of the most iconic Muppets ever, playing some of these terrible characters, but... Overall, I'd, I'm amazed something that Jim Henson was involved with like this could be this awful. I mean, it really was terrible. Still only gave it a minus one. Really considered giving this one a minus two. Uh, but that's that was the second week sketch in a row here on week one. And really, the show started to kind of drag a bit during the middle, and it looked like they might struggle to come out of it. But followed up after that was B Hospital. Uh, so essentially all of these dads were buzzing around the waiting room dressed up like giant bees and they were actually making buzzing noises. Now on the surface, this looks really stupid, but I think what they're going for here was low hanging fruit as a joke, right? That the nurses would bring out these babies to the expectant fathers and say, oh, you got a drone. Oh, you got a worker. Oh, you got a queen and they react. They would react off of that, right? Which is kind of a a stupid joke, but they did it in such a high concept way, uh, which is the best way if you're going to go for the dumb joke to do it. And I thought that made it, made it really great. But famously, I mean, from what I understand, 
Lauren was not a huge fan of this, and he himself thought this totally bombed, but I'm going to give it a plus grade here. All right, now there was only one more live sketch in that first episode, and it was what I called simulated robbery, which was essentially there's a couple, John Belushi and Gilda Radner, and Dan Aykroyd busts in and appears to rob them. But what he's really doing is he's there to sell them his home security program, and so this was a simulated robbery just to show them how much they needed his help. Please do not be alarmed. This is only a simulated assault and burglary. Repeat, this is a simulated assault and burglary. This could happen to you at any time. In fact, it just has. Honey, call the police. Do something. Oh, no, no, no. Don't call the police. I am the police. I might be anyway. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. Cromer. My name is Kenny Vorstrather. I'm president of Trojan Horse Home Security. It wasn't a great sketch as it was written on the page, but I can't I can't overstate this enough how much Dan goes for it in this sketch. He totally sold the crap out of this. And he should play a salesman character every chance he gets because he himself, he was incredible. I credited him with a save for this sketch because I think without him and his total 110% going for it, uh, it would have been a, a loss, I think. But Garrett Morris comes in as his partner at the end. He's kind of more used as a prop, unfortunately. He's not given as much to do. Uh, but Dan, I think, brings this one uh, across the plate and uh, scores a run here with this sketch. All right, we're going to move on to the pre-recorded sketches now. And essentially what these are are any sketch that was recorded previously to them going live, right? Simply just not sketches that were done live. And a lot of these are commercials, but they weren't all commercials. But we're going to start with the first one, which was Jamatol. Now, this had Chevy Chase and Mike O'Donohue in it. Uh, I have to admit right off the bat, and maybe this is just my own stupidity at play here, but what the heck is the joke here in this sketch? Somebody please help me. I absolutely did not get it. I watched this three times. I kept rewinding the tape. I kept trying to figure it out. Chevy's talking about Mike like it's his wife. I I don't get it. So I, I gave this one a minus one. It did make me laugh, but again, I'm fully admitting it could just be that I'm a moron. Now, the next pre-recorded sketch out of that was another uh, commercial called Try Opening, which, uh, I mean, it's a cute idea, right? It's essentially that you have arthritis, but the bottle is too hard to open for people with arthritis. And so the name of the product is try opening. It was cute, but eh, I mean, not very funny. So ultimately I gave that one a minus one as well. Now, Albert Brooks came on here with a short film called The Impossible Truth. This had a few segments. It was like a news organization that was investigating impossible stories. And there were a couple of absolute barn burners here in this episode. The first segment in The Impossible Truth was about a blind cabbie <laughs> who's who's lost his sight, but he's still driving fares around New York City. And I don't know where they found this guy, but he was a total natural. And, I mean, they capped the, the sketch in a great way by they had a lady get into the cab. And, uh, you know, she says where she wants to go. And he goes, is there any cars in front of me? And she's like, nope, you're good. And, uh, and he just takes off driving. Uh, absolutely hilarious. And then... <laughs> There's a segment where the age of consent in what they call the progressive state of Oregon has dropped its age of consent uh, from 18 down to, I, I don't remember what it was, five or six, but there's a guy in a lounge trying to hit on a seven-year-old girl who's there. <laughs> 
acting like an adult basically she's eating her dinner and he's he's you know showing her his business card talking about how he's in advertising and uh <laughs> actually uh i'm i'm in advertising here i'll show you this is my company here <laughs> i can't reach yet <laughs> and 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 the guy's trying to shoo away the reporter that's trying to interview him it's that's it's it was one of the few times in this episode where I, I laughed audibly out loud. Uh, I can't read yet. Just absolutely killed me. So this was definitely a plus one for the impossible truth. All right. The next one was another commercial called Academy of Better Careers. And in this sketch, Gilda Radner gets a phone call from a salesman who is selling her on an exciting career of answering telephones for all the commercials that people say we have people standing by to answer telephones. So it's a commercial for people to answer phones in a commercial. And really Gilda was the only one that I gave a, a plate appearance to in this sketch. I mean, the whole cast was featured, but essentially it was just shots of them picking up phones. And what I thought saved this entire sketch was I, I was teetering on giving this one a minus, but it, Gilda does this incredible surprise reaction take when she puts the phone down and it re-rings that, that just made me bust out. And that's why I'm giving this one a plus. So Gilda definitely gets a save here in this sketch. Uh, keeping it in the green and not in the red. Now what followed after that was two more commercials that I thought were pretty bad. One was called Show Us Your Guns, which was a spoof of another commercial that was on at the time. And in this case, they're just driving around. They're saying, whenever you see the Saturday night truck come by, show us your guns and everybody's pulling out their guns and it just wasn't wasn't very funny. The other one was called Triple Track. Now this had George Coe in it talking about a razor with three blades, which is just a straight up commercial. There wasn't anything funny about it whatsoever. I know at the time, I think the most there was two blades. And so this was supposed to be utterly ridiculous because he closes the commercial with the line, because you'll believe anything, but dude, we got, we got razors now with four or five blades on them. So this just hasn't aged well. Uh, and so ultimately I gave this one a minus one, but I even tried to put myself in the shoes you know, of the time. And I just feel like even then wouldn't have been all that funny. All right. So that's the pre-recorded and the live sketches. So what we're going to touch on now is the monologue and then any special segments that they had. And what's interesting about this episode is George Carlin was the host and he didn't really do a traditional monologue. He did four different parts of a monologue spread out throughout the entire episode. George actually never appeared in a sketch, but listen, George Carlin doing stand-up is always a home run. He knocked it out of the park here in every segment almost that he was in, minus one. And so ultimately, I I gave the monologue a plus two because it was such a huge part of the show. And there there's few things I enjoy more than listening to some classic George Carlin stand-up. So an absolute win uh, from George. Although I would have liked to have seen him in a couple of sketches. I think you know they kept him in the role that, that he was good at and in a way I think from a coaching standpoint uh, that was really smart not to try and do too much with George but just kind of keep him in his wheelhouse there and so that I think was an absolute win so I gave them plus two now there was two other special segments there was Valerie Bromfield who came up and did a little bit of stand-up played a couple characters one was a coach and another was a volleyball player and she absolutely bombed the audience was dead silent through the entire set 
I felt so bad for her as I was watching this. I mean, I was starting to get uncomfortable and cringe and she was, she was going for it. And like, I guess going into this, she was a former uh, comedy partner of Dan Aykroyd's. They came up together. That probably is how she got this spot in the first episode, but she did not do well. She didn't just not do well. She totally bombed. I gave her a minus two on this one. Now the other special segment was Andy Kaufman doing a rendition of Mighty Mouse. Now, I'm assuming if you're listening to the post-game show, you've seen the sketch. But it's basically just Andy standing there, listening to a recorded version of the song, and waiting for one part, just one, for him to lip-sync to. And it absolutely destroys me every single time I re-watch this. And the best part to me is when he bends down halfway through... (laughs) to get a glass of water because he's, this is just, it's too much, right? He's got to wet his whistle in between uh, Here I Come to Save the Day. Absolutely all-time classic, iconic bit, worth a plus two, and that's what I gave him for this special segment. That leaves us with, finally, our Weekend Update. Now, Chevy Chase was the host of Weekend Update for this first episode and likely uh, far beyond that. And I thought overall it was a kind of an uneven performance, right? They ultimately went for eight jokes in the regular weekend update, not including the remote segments, which we'll get to. But your typical uh, anchor desk jokes, you went for eight. I gave them a plus four and a minus four. There were four good ones, four duds. I thought the best joke by far was at Gerald Ford's expense. Uh, and you can even extrapolate this to some of our current presidents, but they joked, or I should say Chevy joked, about how they were writing a new campaign slogan. Mr. Ford was on the campaign trail announcing in Detroit that he has written his own campaign slogan. The slogan, if he's so dumb, how come he's president? (laughs) Uh, There was another great joke uh, about Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, the union was going to build a new headquarters in Detroit and uh, the new union president spoke about former union president Jimmy Hoffa and how he'll always be a cornerstone of the organization. <laughs> uh, obviously alluding to the fact that they were literally going to build this building on top of where they buried Jimmy Hoffa. But ultimately, those are a couple great jokes, but the rest of it was a little uneven. So this one got a zero. It's not a plus one or a minus one, but ultimately a wash. What I did give a plus one to was the one remote segment where Chevy threw it to Lorraine Newman at the Blaine Hotel, who was covering a series of murders. One of the best jokes in the entire episode. Lorraine is talking about how there's been another deadly murder and that camera just pans out and the dead bodies are literally (laughs) with their feet sticking out of the doorway of the hotel room. You could still see their pajamas and their socks and she's just deadpan delivering this uh, report about murder and she absolutely killed it her only appearance uh, in the entire episode and she absolutely nails it here so great job from Lorraine all right let's move on and uh, tally up the stats and see how our players did before we get back and put everything together and see whether this was in fact a win for this episode all right so essentially you'll see how these stats work but we're going to go cast by cast uh essentially how many plate appearances they had, um, what their hits were out of those plate appearances, uh, how many doubles, triples, home runs. Uh, I'll give somebody a walk if they were in a sketch, but, you know, they weren't given much to do or nothing really happened with them, and it wasn't necessarily a 
and a fly out or a ground out or a strikeout, but it's just kind of, yeah, it was fine. They get a walk. Uh, obviously, there'll be strikeouts, too, for people that uh, really, really swung and missed. And as I said before, we've awarded saves to those who appeared in a sketch and really saved it uh, from being a minus. So we'll go through all those stats right now. And so we'll start with who had the most plate appearances. And so John Belushi and Chevy Chase were tied with five plate appearances in this episode. John went four for five out of his chances. That's an average of 800. Uh, and he had one double with no strikeouts or walks. And the double I gave him was for Wolverines. I thought, uh, you know, well, not necessarily a home run. It was very funny. It was a great way to start the show. Uh, and I think that was definitely an extra base hit. Chevy Chase also had five plate appearances. Uh, he did have a couple walks. So uh, of his non-walk uh, at-bats, uh, put him at two for three, uh, which essentially, because uh, he had one strikeout for Jamatol, I thought, that was just a total swing and a miss. Uh, but two hits out of his other ones. Uh, and I gave him a save for New Dad, as I had mentioned earlier. Uh, so Chevy ends uh, the first game batting uh, over 600, which is still really great. Uh, now the next two people that had four plate appearances was Dan Aykroyd and Gilda Radner. Dan had a great game. Uh, he did have a couple walks, but I had him going two for two. So batting 1,000 uh, with a double uh, for simulated robbery. I also gave him a save for that same sketch. I got a double and a save for the same one. Uh, just his salesman character is fantastic. I thought he definitely deserved an extra base hit for that one. Uh, and he didn't really have any sketches where I thought he made an out in. Uh, so some of them were walks, as I said, but ultimately I think he was two for two. Gilda, likewise, while she had four plate appearances, uh, I gave her one walk. Uh, she was three for three in her other appearances, didn't have, you know, any extra base hits or home runs or anything like that, but it just was really solid. Didn't have one where she really missed and, uh, did give her a save for the Academy of Better Careers. So great start to the season for Gilda, uh, coming out of the gates, batting a thousand, uh, with three hits coming up with three plate appearances here. We got Jane Curtin. Uh, Jane just didn't, didn't have much to do. I thought she was very underutilized. Uh, gave, had her two walks and then 0 for 1 in her other plate appearance, uh, that being the uh, victims of shark attacks. You got to give her something to do. She's a talented performer, but just really underutilized here. And I'll say the same for Garrett Morris. Garrett Morris also had three plate appearances, uh, went one for two in those appearances, so batting 500. Uh, but just again, really underutilized. He was basically a prop in simulated robbery. Uh, Mike O'Donohue. Uh, three plate appearances for him, just generally mostly used as a straight man. Uh, he went one for two with uh, he had a strikeout again for Jamatol. That was just that was just bad. Uh, and then a walk. Uh, there was a lot of times where he just kind of was present. Uh, again, not doing much. George Coe also had three plate appearances. Super vanilla, not very funny. He went one for two uh, with his uh, triple track essentially being his strikeout. I gave him a, I gave him a, a K for that. Uh, he did get a hit for his uh, his appearance as the judge in the courtroom. I thought he did great, uh, was believable, and kind of carried that through. And so I'll, I'll give him a hit for that one. Lorraine Newman, one plate appearance in Weekend Update. She got a hit, one for one. She's like that clutch pinch hitter 
the episode had been lagging in the middle, and they called Lorraine off the bench to pinch it, and man, she got on base. Just, again, fantastic performance. Her reporter character and the voice she uses is great. Hope to see more of that in the future, and hopefully they can use her some more. And so the the cast overall, stat-wise, was a little bit top-heavy. Basically, it was John Belushi, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd, and Gilda Radner getting all the opportunities and most of the hits. So hopefully there'll be some more opportunities for Jane, Garrett, and Lorraine especially uh, going forward here. The host, uh, you know, like I said, George Carlin had four appearances. Gave him a three for four, about 750. He never appeared in a sketch, but he was a solid contributor. I think without George, uh, this episode is a lot worse. So I think ultimately he came in as the host and really contributed a lot. All right, sports and comedy fans, it's time to get to the awards for this episode before we tally it all up. And so for our first award, we have our top three plays of the game. And so coming in at number three is Lorraine Newman with the reporter and the bodies still being there on the ground. I thought, again, fantastic performance, and that was definitely one of the plays of the game. Chevy, I'm standing outside a room on the 15th floor of the Blaine Hotel, where number 38 in a series of grisly and bizarre murders has occurred just over an hour ago. The motive again, murder, as it has been in the previous 37 slashings. And the number two play of the game goes to John Belushi, his incredible double bagger on Feed My Fingertips to the Wolverines. Uh, gets him the second best play of the game, just all around incredible performance. And finally, our number one play of the game, I'm going to give it to who's not even a regular cast member, but Andy Kaufman for Mighty Mouse is going to get the number one play of the game. Uh, this was the best play. And he didn't get statistics tracked like a regular cast member, but if he did, I would have gave him a home run for this one. Uh, the only guy to hit it out of the park tonight. So great job to Andy. That being said, the MVP for the night is going to go to John Belushi. Just overall solid, solid performance from John. I mean, he went four for five at the plate, got a double, kind of put the team on his back, and and just overall contributed probably more than any of the other regular cast members to the success of this episode. So John gets his first MVP here today. The Unsung Hero Award. This is an award we're going to give to a cast member who was given very little to do, maybe didn't appear that many times, but did a lot with what they were given. And you might not be surprised. The Unsung Hero Award is going to Lorraine Newman again for her one opportunity during Weekend Update. Uh, She came in like a pinch hitter and got a hit, and that's going to get her the Unsung Hero Award for Episode 1. And now we're going to move on to Best Sketch and Worst Sketch. Best Overall Sketch, we're going to go with the Cold Open, the Wolverines. And I think while there was a lot of good sketches, there wasn't one great sketch. This one, I think, is going to stand the test of time uh, just for John's performance here. So we're going to go ahead and give Wolverines the Best Sketch of the Night. And then Worst Sketch is going to go to the Land of Gorch. I might name the Worst Sketch Award after the Muppets, which is hard for me to say because I love the Muppets. I love the Muppet Show. But this was awful. So Worst Sketch definitely goes to the Land of Gorch. All right, sports and comedy fans, it's that time. Did they win? Well, after tallying up all the grades for the sketches, for the players, 
we ended up with a plus four on this episode, which is absolutely a win. So SNL starts off their first season 1-0. Great performances across the bat by its cast. Great job by the host, George Carlin. So ultimately, they come out of here with a win in their first at bat. And let me tell you guys, for their first time ever going live, this was a really impressive performance. Let's see if they can keep it together and ultimately put a win streak together. And I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting a lot from this cast. All right, now before we wrap up, I want to hear some of your thoughts. So we're going to go now to a caller to uh, hear some of uh, your thoughts about the game and how you all think it went. So uh, go ahead, caller. What's your name and uh, where are you calling from? Hey, this is Joey from Berwyn, and uh, you know I thought I was I was just wanting to call about the show. I, I you know I'm actually I'm really impressed. I wasn't sure what to expect, you know, with these new guys, and uh, you know it's the first time ever going live, and I mean even their name is like they're not ready for prime time, right? But you know I gotta I gotta say I think the kids can play. I really was impressed. I and I think you know John obviously was a fantastic. I mean that guy can hit, but they got some other people there that I think uh, could do a real good job too. I'm I'm excited to see what happens. I think it's a it's a strong team, but you know I don't know I don't know maybe about this this Jane girl. I mean uh, I don't know if it's if it's too early in the season to start talking about a trade. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but. Uh, you know, ultimately they gotta they gotta figure out something else to do there. I don't know. I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, thanks for calling, uh, Joey. I appreciate your thoughts there. Uh, I do think it's a little too early in the season to start talking about trading Jane. I think she's a really good player. I think uh, in this case the coaches just didn't give her much to do and uh, definitely didn't put her in a position to win. So uh, I, I would I would wait and see how things play out with her. But I agree. I think these kids can absolutely play. I think John's going to lead the way for them this season, uh, especially him with him and Dan and Gilda. And I think uh, I think we're going to see big things from all of them. So I appreciate you your calling in and, and your thoughts there. And to everybody else, I hope you have a great night. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of Saturday Night Live and our breakdown here. Uh, so go on and celebrate a win in the first week. We're starting off 1-0. You can follow us on Twitter at SNL Postgame. And if you hurry, you could be the first follower because at the time I recorded this, we have exactly zero because we just started. Or if you'd like to reach out to me directly, you can email the show at snlpostgame at gmail.com. Why don't you send me an email and explain Jamatol to me? Please, spell out that joke. I don't understand. And we'll meet you back here after episode two next week. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful evening.